And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, which has other amazing podcasts like Business Made Simple, hosted by Donald Miller. Business Made Simple takes the mystery out of growing your business, so make sure you tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Hala Taha. Hala is the host of the number one podcast in education, Young and Profiting, which has welcomed influential guests ranging from Matthew McConaughey to Grant Cardone to amass millions of downloads and a loyal listener base. Her career began in radio production at Hot 97 on the Angie Martinez Show while she was still in college. She later launched an entertainment news blog site called The Sorority of Hip Hop, leading an all-women team of 50 bloggers. As the blog site boom slowed down, she pivoted, uh, earned her MBA, got valuable corporate marketing experience at HP and Disney, and then she built Yap Media. She's CEO founder of Yap Media, a full-service social media and podcast marketing agency. She has built a thriving business with high-profile clients and over 40 employees. As a testament to her success, she was also featured on the cover of Podcast Magazine. She is a powerhouse in personal and professional development, brand development, and marketing. Her insights have made her a sought-after speaker and industry leader in all things marketing, brand, podcasting, and social media. I feel like I've had so many ups and downs in my life, but I think the most recent one was COVID and actually my father getting sick from COVID. And so I started my social media and podcast agency when he was in the hospital, really sick and basically unconscious. And that really triggered me, you know, to take things to the next level. I had my podcast, I was working at Disney streaming services and corporate marketing. And I just figured, you know what? My podcast is growing, but I'm not putting in 100%. I really want to make a difference in this world. I want to be a positive voice for my generation. I need to take this to the next level and, and go all in. And I started my social media agency, which really set everything off. Within three months, my podcast blew up. I was on the cover of Podcast Magazine. We were making well over six figures a month with my business. And so it really just took off right away once I you know realized that life is so short and that I was running out of time, just like my dad was. That's really interesting. Do you think that... Um, do you think that as an entrepreneur, um, the most successful ones have this like traumatic or not traumatic, but th there's their life is not always perfect, right? There's all these different. I, I think there's the f a lot of entrepreneurs are successful uh, immigrants that come over mm -hmm. and they haven't been handed everything, so they work extra hard. And Gary Vee speaks about this all the time. And I'm curious, how do you tell somebody who wants to build something 
to create a little bit of adversity in their life, not as obviously as traumatic as what you went through, because yeah. that's super, super traumatic, but I get it. I get why there's like a light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. But how do you coach somebody and help them understand the value of a little bit of adversity in, in the long game for entrepreneurship, building your own thing? Yeah, I would say the number one thing is to not af be afraid to get experiences and get rejected or failed because I feel like the reason why I was able to kind of take this big risk is because my whole life I was used to taking big risks. I was used to, you know, trying out for a play and maybe not getting the part or running for a class president and maybe getting VP instead. And just getting used to that kind of failure and trying. Sometimes you knock it out of the park. Sometimes you don't get it. And I think that a lot of people who are really smart, who grow up getting really good grades, they're so afraid of taking risks because everything they do is sort of so perfect or they're they're used to getting good marks and not failing that when real life comes along they don't know how to just take risks and go for things but you didn't take risks immediately throughout your career i mean you still like worked for somebody in a nine to five so walk me through even your mindset and what you were trying to accomplish in your career what you didn't get out of that why you even because people do take risks but you could have taken risks like risks in yeah. other ways mm -hmm. what prompted you to want to build your own thing was it was was your dad or your parents were they entrepreneurial was that something that was ingrained in you as a child or no yeah so my dad was a surgeon and okay. he actually grew up in Palestine super poor grew up in war uh, ended up coming to America getting a scholarship becoming a surgeon chief of surgery really successful guy came from literally nothing super generous super humble hardworking. so mm -hmm. I did get that experience as a young person seeing my dad basically make something out of nothing mm -hmm. and that was definitely inspiring he's definitely my hero in that regard in terms of me kind of not taking risks, I actually started corporate super late. I dropped out of college to work at Hot 97, uh, the number one hip hop and R&B station for Angie Martinez and was an intern that got paid nothing for three years. That's and actually massive risk, even in, the, in a nine to five type job, more safe environment. Exactly, but yeah. I wasn't actually getting paid. I used to make money selling underground showcase tickets at night and was like this like party girl. You know, I graduated undergrad with a 2.3 GPA and, and kind of was just like really wild when I was younger to a degree, but mm -hmm. uh, wanted to make it and had my ambition of being on radio, being in entertainment since I was 19 years old. And then I started a blog site when I was like 24, Went back to college. It. That was killing killed it. Killed it. I you almost got 50, a sh 50 employees at that or something. 150 like? bloggers in and out of the organization. In, in and <laughs> out of the organization, and uh, we were like famous in the tri-state area. We yeah. almost had a show on MTV, and so I was an entrepreneur for the first like six or seven years of my young adult life. Okay, I understand. I just didn't really make it, you know. Like we we were famous, and it was you know, really cool and it was great experiences and I learned how to build websites and graphic design and copywriting and learned how to hack social media. And it was really good for my skill set in terms of like getting rich off of it. Didn't really figure it out. Then I got my MBA because mm -hmm. I didn't get a show on MTV that, you know, they filmed this all summer and then they pulled the plug and I sort of was devastated. Like, oh my gosh, it's been seven years of me basically working for free, trying to make it. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. That's when I got less risk averse. Like that's when I was like, I am not sure I can take these risks anymore. I want to be a normal person. I want to make my parents proud. And then I went and worked at Hewlett Packard and Disney um, and started my podcast four years later. I thought I would never get back on a mic. I thought I would never be in entertainment again. But, you know, it was actually corporate that, um, like, I didn't get certain opportunities that I wanted. I was getting promoted left and right at Hewlett Packard, but 
every time I sort of made a big change, like starting my podcast, starting my business, it was some opportunity in corporate that I didn't get. And I realized like, I can do this on my own. Like I, I can be successful on my own and I need to put things in my own control and power. And that's why I would, always would make these big changes. I feel like something that you alluded to is that when you do have this entrepreneurial spirit, it's impossible to let go of it. So I didn't I didn't realize that you went to build your own thing and then went to corporate mm -hmm. because it was like you were getting pounded with stress and yeah. it, was, it wasn't like lack of success but it definitely wasn't like not like incredible now where crazy it's like a growth, whatever. yeah so I think that that's something to to note as well I think that I, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and like when you look at your story now a lot of it makes sense and not everybody is actually meant for entrepreneurship mm -hmm. I don't think that's if you speak about you know building for seven years or whatever with no success that's very stressful yeah but then when you are built for it you know and you generally have an inclination to always want to try and build something mm -hmm. and even if for the first seven years a listener was in a corporate job they yeah. know when they want to build something so how you built is very impressive to me because the the building a side hustle turning into something huge is like obviously like near and dear to me this mm -hmm. is like how i did, did this show yeah and and how you built your show mm -hmm. so Walk me through how you take the first steps because I know people are listening who actually want to take those steps and they're scared, they're nervous, they are risk adverse, but they have this like passion inside them to build all the time. And that's something that I think is very, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So how do you do that safely? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, the hustle culture, the quit your job, the go into something full, I actually disagree with that me adamantly. Too. Me too. And you, obviously you're living proof of that. So what did mm -hmm. you do for your podcast? Yeah, so my podcast is actually not the first thing that made money. My social media agency was the first thing that was like my official side hustle because my podcast up until the social agency blew up and I had time to invest back in it to grow the show and then get sponsors, it was really my social agency that monetized first. So basically what I always recommend with side hustles is not to invest too much money before you know there's actually demand. Mm -hmm. And to also be super open to what people are telling you that you're good at. So for the longest time, my podcast was really big and notable from the start in terms of the guests that would come on the show. I was a LinkedIn influencer. We can talk about that if you want. And people who would come on my show, I, I was working this cushy job at Disney streaming services, making well over six figures and kind of crushing it as a, as a young corporate person that only had you know a few years mm -hmm. experience in corporate. And the guests that would come on my show, they would end and they would be like, Hala, like your LinkedIn is crushing it. Your videos are amazing. I had a team of about 20 volunteers that enabled me to have this huge podcast while working full time. And they would always ask me, can you do this for me? Can your team help me? And I would always say, you know what? This is just a hobby. You know, this is just for fun. Thank you so much. I've got a great job. Like, I don't have time to help you. I'm really sorry. I can teach you, but I can't, I can't actually do this for you. Until, like I mentioned, COVID hit and I saw my dad dying and I saw, you know, the fact that it might take me 20 years to become the CMO of Disney if I ever get there. Mm -hmm. But I have this opportunity to channel all this demand that people are asking me about. And it wasn't until that point that I actually was open to the opportunity that this was actually a, a thing. And so once COVID hit, Heather Monahan was basically stalking me. You probably yeah. are familiar with her. She's a podcaster, big LinkedIn influencer, and she basically wouldn't leave me alone. And I, I told her the same thing. I can teach you on the weekends or like, I'll teach you. So I started 
uh, having calls with her on Saturdays, trying to teach her how to video edit. I was showing her all of our templates and things like that. And she's like, Hala, your stuff is better than Gary V. I just had a call with VaynerMedia. Um, I need you to help me. I want to be your first client. You're out of your mind. You don't even like your Disney job. You have a team. Like, let me be your first client. I was like, you know what? Fine. And so she literally, I charged her something really small, like 700 bucks a month to run her LinkedIn. We crushed it. We started taking over her podcast, her Instagram. She started paying more. Then my second client that I landed was a billionaire and paid us $30,000 a month to run all of his accounts. And all of a sudden I had money to pay my team. Damn. I had interns, volunteers. Yeah. And then I got Kara Golden, the CEO of Hintwater, yeah. another huge contract. 1-800-GOT-JUNK, 1-800-GOT-JUNK's uh, CEO, yeah. Brian Scudamore. I, I so guys. like huge, <laughs> yeah. huge clients, one after the other. Six months later, I'm still working at Disney streaming services because I'm working from home. I have no commute, all this extra time. That's when I actually quit my job. I had 30 employees around the world and was crushing it already. And I say that story because I really took my time because I was like, I don't want this to be a fluke. So to go back to how to start a side hustle, you got to make sure that you've got the demand and it's it's continuing and you're stable and you're able to replicate whatever money you're making at your job, um, at least more than what you're making plus your expenses. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of waited until I knew that I could pay myself way more than what Disney was providing with me. And I really took my time. Uh, the key is having a team that can help you once you know you have the demand um, so that you can kind of scale up. And while you're at work, you can make sure that the everything is working pretty seamlessly. So not being afraid of Systems, giving up processes. Yeah, yeah. And like not being afraid of giving up that control and training people properly. Um, and then the other thing I would say is like, don't invest too much in the idea at first. You know, people get so stuck on like a logo, a website. I got my first 30,000 deal with no logo, no website. All I had is a PowerPoint. I just made a nice PowerPoint and I closed a 30 K deal on my second deal. Damn. That's so, impressive. Mm -hmm. How long was that when you were still working, um, for Disney while you were building this out? What was like the, the time? Two months later. After okay. I started my, after I started, yeah, media, my social yeah. media agency. Two months later, I got my first like billionaire client. And then that enabled me to invest back into the business, yeah. get better talent, you know, and, and scale it up. So, okay. So then, then, you know, the obvious question is, okay, awesome. You, you landed a $30,000 per month retainer client. That's huge. What, especially in the world of social media agencies where they're like a dime a dozen now, especially in like. 2023 my god they're everywhere yeah so what allows you what what was a differentiator so i had been spending two years building my linkedin community and my podcast and so i had the social proof myself so before people got on a call with me they were already closed you know what i mean i just had to kind of let them know what it was mm -hmm. they saw my success they saw heather's success i, I blew up kara golden like i i was making all these people influencers that I just had so much social proof. And for two years, I didn't sell anything. All I did was build my brand and credibility. And I never sold a thing. So by the time I launched my social media services, everybody was hungry. The other thing I was really clear on who my client was. I wasn't after like just everyone. I wanted somebody who was in the self-improvement space, CEO of a huge company, a best-selling author, a celebrity. And those were the same people that would come on my show. So I created a lead engine tool. My podcast was a lead generation tool. I would make all these connections. I would never ever talk about Yap Media services. 
it would just be in really subtle places like my email signature, right? Or they would see it on my LinkedIn profile. Mm. And usually what would happen is after the interview, it would either turn straight into a discovery call. They'd be like, Hala, like, I know you have this social media thing. Can you tell me about it? Walk me through it. Or, you know, two months later, they would reach out to me and be like, Hala, I need you. Um, because I built that trust. I didn't try to like outwardly sell to them. Mm -hmm. And people buy from people that they like and trust. And so that just enabled me to never have to use any paid ads. And my company made $5 million in two years, no paid ads. It was all just lead gen That's from my absolutely podcast. insane. And okay, so let's actually break down. I, I want to understand why you were successful in, in building this. Like what was the, it was the, because there's podcast agencies and there's social media agencies and they're siloed. And I don't think they hit $5 million run rate in two years. So what is the thing that you're tapping into that other people can learn from? You're turning people into influencers. Mm -hmm. It's an ambiguous term for a lot of people. How did you have this formula to make someone famous? Because everybody's trying to do this. Yeah, It's really hard for 99.999% of people. So what is the formula to make someone famous? So the reason why my company was so successful is because we, like you mentioned, there's social media agencies and there's podcast agencies. Mm -hmm. I filled a gap. There was no like, I'm the number one LinkedIn marketing agency. So there was no agency that really catered to the self-improvement, a CEO, a business influencer who's trying to crush it on LinkedIn, who has a podcast, who also needs to be on Instagram. And I was able to do all of that really, really well with that specialized knowledge. So there at the time, especially two years ago, there was no social agencies that also had like really high podcast expertise. Plus I'm a growth marketer. So I blew up my website when I was 25 years old hacking Twitter. Then mm. I hacked LinkedIn and figured that out. Then I hacked podcasting and figured out how to grow shows. And I'm one of the most knowledgeable people about growing shows. And in terms of the formula, it's about knowing every platform and knowing every single game that there is every platform has a different algorithm that you've got to crack right mm -hmm. same thing with podcasts same thing with linkedin they think it's a professional network that's not really like a social media platform it's just like instagram or any other platform you've got to just crack the algorithm and so i just kind of figured out how to grow for myself and every time i figured out something for myself i would then offer it as a service for for somebody else um uh, do you feel like as an entrepreneur um unpacking that particular point if somebody else is looking to build something, what is like what advice do you give somebody wanting to build something that does have a, a specialty or a you know an expertise in something? Um, how do they go about taking a product to market? Yeah, well, first of all, you have to make sure that you're really clear on what you're selling and that you're good at one thing and you do it better than everybody else. I think a lot of people start a business. Mm -hmm. First of all, they don't know if anybody wants a service. Like I was saying before, you've got to make sure that people are actually asking you for this. You don't want to create demand. You want to channel demand, right? It's very smart, actually. There's a huge, huge difference. Huge you, a difference. A lot of people like, don't get that. Exactly. People create products that they think people want without knowing that they want them. So I would say, number one, make sure it's a product that people are asking you for, that you're the number one expert that you're super focused, you learn the ins and outs of it, and you can do it better than anybody else and start with one really good product. So for me, that was like LinkedIn and podcasting. I knew I could crush it. That's really what I just focused on. And then I started adding YouTube and Instagram and other things once we kind of got our feet on the ground. And after I figured it out for myself, if I've never done it well for myself, yeah. then I'm not going to sell it because I don't want to take somebody's money and do a, a you know, 50% job. I My business is based on referrals and, and, and my trust, right? So I 
want to make sure that I'm the best. So I think a lot of people start being an entrepreneurs and they don't even know the ins and outs of their industry. Like you've probably seen this with podcasters. People start a podcast. They don't even know how it works. They don't know the business side of it. You need to know every angle of it and really be the true expert. So I would say, like I mentioned, number one, make sure that there's demand. Number two, make sure you're the best at what you're offering. Focus on one thing and get super good at it, then scale up, right? Um, so that that's what I would suggest. That's and not, and very, not to invest smart. too, yeah. too much in it at first before you've proven it out. Um, at, when you approach, you know, we're going down the, the rabbit hole of, of the product that you're offering people. And I, I, I love unpacking this because I'm, I'm a marketer too. And I, I, to a fault though, because I like to figure out things myself first and then, but I'm not even trying to sell it to somebody. I'm just trying to figure it out myself. So, um, I, I love to, I love to understand how you approach channels, how you approach unpacking algorithms, um, all the growth marketer hacks that you do. And, and, and when people hear hacks, it's not that you're doing something that is not allowed. It's that you're using the channel to the best of its ability. And most people don't know how to do that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many levels to this. You're talking about CEOs that don't know how to build a personal brand that are so far removed from the day-to-day -day activities of actual so, like marketing, mm -hmm. all the way down to growth marketers that are running and operating in a social media agency that are trying to figure out LinkedIn and don't get it. But then it seems like some people, every single post just hits. Like, yeah. All these different nuances and the, the, the span of knowledge that you have and bridging that gap between the the tactical implementation because you've done it before mm -hmm. and the needs and the wants of the actual customer serving that's actually what's made it successful yeah. for you and a five million dollar run rate in two years is fucking insane but um when you as a marketer when you look at different channels you go into a new channel what are the things that you think about what are the things that you look for can you even like describe something that isn't common knowledge yeah, on a channel course. that you do really really well on that mm -hmm. people should start to understand and look at social this way yeah so number one you want to make sure you're picking the right platform and you don't want to spread yourself too thin. So one of the reasons why I really won in this whole game of podcasting mm -hmm. is because when I started, I didn't focus on Instagram, YouTube, all these platforms. I said, you know what? I think my target audience are young professionals. And I think there's a huge gap. There was only like Lewis House was sort of doing his thing on LinkedIn. And I just came in and I focused on LinkedIn and I became the number one podcaster, bigger than Lewis House, bigger than Jay Shetty, bigger than Jordan Harbinger on LinkedIn in terms of my engagement. And I got leverage from that. And that really set everything off. It set up my set off my social agency. It enabled me to trade my audiences with podcast apps and then blow up my podcast later on. And so LinkedIn really kicked everything off for me because I just focused on that and realized my target audience was there and there was a gap. I could stand out in the feed because of my topic and because I'm a young woman, I stood out and I could be different and you want to be different on social media. That's how you win. You want to stop the scroll. So that's number one. Figure out where your target audience is, where you have the most opportunity, where there's organic reach, right? And focus on one platform until you gain leverage and then move on to the next platform. Unless you have a huge team and lots of money, that's a different story. But if you're just starting out and you don't have that many resources, just focus on one platform where your target audience is hanging out in mass. Can I ask you one question on that? Because yeah. that runs counter to the Gary V style strategy, which is and all that. everywhere, which yeah. is podcast, 50 pieces of derivative content across every single social platform known to human beings. So that's you know. great if you've got a lot of money and a big team, right? If you hire me, yeah, we can have omnipresence and yeah. I can crush it for you because I know I've already done that, been there before. But if you're starting from scratch, you need to learn 
the platform, the ins and outs. You need to be familiar with all the features. You need to understand the engagement hacks on that specific platform. You need to build a community on that platform and spend time engaging with your fans. And that doesn't happen, you know, by accident. And spreading yourself too thin, I see this all the time. Mm -hmm. You get nowhere. And then you don't have any leverage to then, you know, uh, make things bigger because you've got more power. You've got an audience to trade. That's a huge thing to have an audience to trade when you don't have a lot of money. Right. And so figure out where your pl what platform you want to work on. Then you want to make sure that you understand, you experiment every day, you post every day. There's really two parts of a social media strategy. That's important. Number one is like your content marketing. You don't want to push. I don't, I'm not a big paid ads person. I never got into it. Um, eventually I may have to do stuff with paid ads and I, I do paid ads for podcasts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of social media, I feel like organic is definitely the way to go. And so you need a really strong content marketing. Um, and then you also need understand, uh, to understand the algorithm. And those two things are really what can make somebody become an influencer online. And so in terms of the content marketing, you want to position yourself as an old friend to your community. And that means you need to understand your values. You need to understand your personality type. You need to clearly understand the audience you're trying to target. You want to mirror your personality to your audience. So for example, if I'm trying to attract young millennial men who are the people who listen to my podcast, I want to make sure that I talk about topics they're interested in, that I sound cool and really relatable and that I'm able to actually mirror the audience that I'm trying to attract. So what does that mean? I don't do makeup tutorials. I don't like do like yes, fashion the blogs. Guests you on, the, the guests you bring on are a certain type, type of, of person. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so I'm always doing things not that make me happy, but that attract my target audience, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about you necessarily. And you want to think about the impact that you want to make. And so like having a, a really clear voice identity is really important. A lot of people get stuck on visual identity on social media where they care about a logo, they care about branding, but promotional salesy things, especially on a platform like LinkedIn actually do terrible because they don't stand out mm -hmm. and they're not authentic and they're not relatable. And so it's really getting clear on your voice identity. Um, being comfortable with showing your face is super important on social media. A lot of people don't like to show their face and that's one of the things that can like immediately just change things if you just get your face out there. And in terms of the algorithm, it's like, I do things like read engineering documentation, right? So I'm reading LinkedIn engineering documentation. I'm super nerdy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good. That's like, I thought I was nerdy. That's like taking it to another level. But yeah. that's good for you that you need to do that shit to kill it because it's tough. It's, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely wild. Now, you keep bringing up LinkedIn again and again and again. Um, out of all the social platforms, like if you think about the, the common advice that people give, well, now it's you follow where the companies are trying to promote. So the reels and the shorts and the Snapchat spotlights and and that's where you focus your energy with short form video clips. Yeah. But no one really speaks about LinkedIn. I'm obviously very bullish on LinkedIn. I mean, that's actually where I'm not, it sounds like as uh, as granular a marketer as you are, but I still understood that like LinkedIn is a content deficient platform. Yeah. So when you put stuff on there, you get organic reach. I'm yes. a big fan of organic, as, as somebody who did not have money starting mm -hmm. at a podcast, then you have to find a way to tap into an exactly. audience. So I get LinkedIn. And also our content is very similar. It's business mm -hmm. content, so it hits. But I mean, I never put this much thought into it. So it's like, sometimes I'm mean, just like a, a good accident. But I mean, <laughs> you are very purposeful about all the shit you yes, do. Yes, very purposeful. Um, which is great. 
and that's probably why you have a five million dollar agency and i don't have one that's why <laughs> but how do you how do you actually or, or why is linkedin so important in your content strategy why do you keep bringing it up like what is the thing about linkedin that differentiates it and and put it in layman's terms over um focusing on youtube or focusing on instagram or focusing on twitter or TikTok? well number one like i mentioned before the leverage of me being able to say i'm the number one podcaster on linkedin and i have a business podcast mm -hmm. so all the business brands love to sponsor me and we didn't talk about it but i have a podcast network where i grow and monetize shows mm -hmm. and a lot of my deals are 360 deals so i'm one of the first podcasters that have monetized linkedin lives i sell my podcast as a simulcast across my podcast my youtube and my linkedin i'm the first one to do that right and so i've been able to like triple my impressions just because i use linkedin live as another podcast uh monetization tool essentially mm -hmm. and so 360 deals are really important to me uh, speaking engagements come from LinkedIn primarily. A lot of my, um, you know, clients are authors. Speaking engagements come from LinkedIn, not from Instagram, right? So really important for authors and the types of clients that I run. Uh, something that I want to talk about, because you mentioned it before, but we didn't really get to talk mm -hmm. about, is, you know, just basic rules of growing on social media. And I can take it from like broad cross channel to then we can focus on LinkedIn. Yeah, sure. So first, um, Every social media platform, no matter what it is, their goal is to keep users on that platform, right? And anytime you post on social media, you need to remember that if you wanna be rewarded on this platform, you need to keep users engaged and you need to keep them on the platform as long as possible. So if you do anything that brings users off the platform, that bores them, where people skim over your stuff, you're never gonna win. You wanna stop the scroll, you want people to spend time on your post, to take viral actions on your post. And that means that you really need to know the content marketing that's gonna resonate with your target audience, but then also how to like hack uh, things to make sure that people do spend time on your posts and don't leave the platform. That's how you get rewarded no matter what. The other thing is that in this world, everything is mobile. Um, you wanna take up as much real estate as possible on the feed. It's super important, people miss this. So on LinkedIn, for example, people will put up horizontal images or text posts with mm -hmm. no graphic. That's the worst thing you can do because the average person on LinkedIn is scrolling through nine posts, mm -hmm. right? And if they just skim over your posts, you're actually gonna lose points for the algorithm because you didn't have dwell time. Nobody actually stopped and look at, looked at your stuff. And so the bigger the image, the better. So on LinkedIn, that's like a four by five aspect ratio for a graphic. And if you have a photo with a person on it, people are spending more time looking at the person rather than like a promotional graphic or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so big photos right now work the best on LinkedIn. Videos don't work well. The only thing that works well with video on LinkedIn is like LinkedIn Lives. That's why I do a lot of LinkedIn Lives. And so people try to take the same strategies like Instagram Reels and do it on LinkedIn. It doesn't work. It's a whole different platform with a different set of rules that are prioritizing certain features. It's not like Instagram. So that's a big problem. I see people trying to replicate, you know, what they do on one platform when it doesn't work that way. And no, I was going to say one yeah, more thing ahead. just on that point. <laughs> yeah. I, Sorry, I, I I'm like wanna... a fire hose. No, 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 you're good. You're good. I love it. It's an easy interview that way. But um, <laughs> when when you see people that are just copying the strategies, I just want to I want to highlight something. Yeah. I think what you're seeing is you're seeing people that follow Gary Vee or some other social media influencer, and they see that Gary has a very um, sophisticated strategy, but you do see that he'll just take a random video that he posted on Instagram and he'll post it on LinkedIn and it'll get thousands of likes and comments. But you cannot equate 
what he has, which is critical mass of an audience versus what you're doing, which is no audience. Yeah. And I think that's the issue. People replicate that and they're like, well, if he's doing it, I should do the exact same thing. You're playing at a different level and you and and you have to play at the level that you're at to eventually get to where he is. Yeah. And by the way, so somebody like Gary has well over a million, a million followers on mm -hmm. LinkedIn and his engagement's the same as me and I have 200,000 followers. So he actually has a very poor engagement rate because like you said, he's just replicating and he's just got this huge audience. So mm -hmm. it does well, but he could be doing so much better if he was leaning into the features that LinkedIn is actually promoting. Um, the other thing is skimmable content, right? People don't like to read. And these algorithms want to keep users on the platform. So a platform like LinkedIn is actually going to deprioritize your post if you've got big chunky paragraphs and you're making people work because they know people are going to skim over them. And so big chunky paragraphs, you get deprioritized. Linking in the caption, taking users to another website, deprioritized. Um, the other thing that's really unique about LinkedIn is that the last stage of the algorithm is actually human editors. This is way different than any other platform. And so an influencer like me and all my clients, we're, I know how to manipulate the algorithm so much that like we're always going viral. So my worst performing posts, 1500 likes, you know, and then ranging from like 1500 to like 5,000 likes. But then sometimes I'll get 100,000 like posts, 60,000 like posts, million, 8 million views, 10, like nobody's getting these types of results on LinkedIn. And the reason why is because my content is actually aligning to the LinkedIn editorial agenda because the LinkedIn's is actually scanning the most popular posts and anything that aligns to careers, hiring, graduation, point in time holidays, Women's Day month, Black History Month, whatever is on their editorial agenda, they're gonna pour gasoline on it. And they're gonna stop anything that's salesy, anything that's promotional, anything that's promoting me, my, my LinkedIn masterclass or whatever it is. And they're actually gonna pour gasoline on the stuff that aligns to their agenda. So whenever I'm thinking about client strategy in terms of content marketing on, on LinkedIn, I'm like, what is the intersection of your niche and careers? Because that's how we're gonna go massively viral. What's your what's your ratio of promotional to uh, editorial guideline focused content? Um, on LinkedIn, sales happen in the DMs. Always. Always. Uh, LinkedIn is going to do from the first step of the algorithm. LinkedIn is deprioritizing salesy and promotional stuff. If you link out, deprioritized. If you have salesy keywords in your post, deprioritized. LinkedIn is in the business of making LinkedIn money and keeping users engaged and entertained on the platform, mm -hmm. and they want to reward content creators who do that. And by the way, only 6% of people who are on LinkedIn are actually content creators. So there's a huge opportunity for everybody to be that like dominant person in their niche, just like I was the number one podcaster or the number one podcaster on LinkedIn. Do you think if, when you, when you do sell, so say you adopt this strategy, <clears throat> nine, nine posts are great. And then the 10th one you sell, does that, is there a deranking of your, all your content now? So this is such a great question. LinkedIn actually judges your last 10 to 15 posts mm -hmm. in the algorithm. We can talk about, if you want me to break down the algorithm, I'm happy to do I it. I would love to because yeah. this is really deep and I've never heard anyone speak about some of Nobody this stuff. Nobody knows this stuff. It's not yeah. a book. I've, I've learned it. Um, I've basically tested it and spare, I'm running all the influencers on LinkedIn. So I feel like I'm one of the only people who actually know the algorithm besides people who work at LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm happy to break that down. Um, so do you want me to break it down? Let's start go. From scratch? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So there's four steps. <laughs> Let me get a drink of water. Cause it's I appreciate it. No, I mean, listen, I know that you speak a lot about LinkedIn and I know that's part of like your, your service no, offering, not, yeah. but 
like there's a lot of people that speak a lot about LinkedIn. No, they don't know anything. <laughs> That's why I'm like, I didn't know if I wanted to go into it. I'm like, yeah, I want to go into it because I want to learn this shit. Yeah, okay. So there's four <laughs> steps to the algorithm. Yeah. Okay. Number one is spam filters. So this is actually LinkedIn's like AI machine, virtual, like their machine that is basically scanning every post that comes out and they're putting it into three buckets. First is spam, then it's low quality, high quality. Okay, so spam is the usual, it, pornography, profanity, mm -hmm. um, you know, using too many hashtags. So compared to Instagram on LinkedIn, you really should be only using three hashtags. It's, I can go into hashtags for 10 minutes if you want, but really three hashtags, anything over five, they're actually gonna deprioritize you because they think you're spamming. Also, like the way that the platform works, just hashtags actually work against you sometimes if you don't use them smart on LinkedIn. If you tag too many people, if you tag celebrities, a lot of people do this like tagging 20 people in their posts. Yeah, I've, had tag, that, I've had people tag me that they yeah, don't even know them. They, spam. You know, you get yeah. flagged for spam, it's not going to go anywhere. Okay? So those are some examples of like, as soon as you do it, LinkedIn's just going to stop your post, right? Then there's low quality. And it's scanning for things that are really like nuanced. So like I mentioned, big chunky paragraphs. You have big chunky paragraphs, you get deprioritized. That's why all the influencers on LinkedIn are doing that line by line style. Mm -hmm. That's on purpose to be skimmable, right? Linking out to an external third party website, deprioritized because you're selling on LinkedIn, okay? Um, not having keywords in your posts that align to keywords in the uh, people who are in your target audience, deprioritized, okay? Uh, not leveraging certain features, uh, you'll get like not having a picture, mm -hmm. deprioritized, okay? Then high quality, that's you're following all the best practices, you're not tagging, you only have three hashtags, you've got skimmable content, you've got a graphic, you get into high quality, okay? Step two of the algorithm is, um, it's basically feeding your content to a subset of users on LinkedIn. Now this is super important. It means that you need to make sure that the people in your audience are actually active on LinkedIn. There's a lot of people on LinkedIn who look at stuff and don't engage. There's probably a lot of people that are in your first connections and you're only allowed to have 30,000 of them on LinkedIn that um, you know got a job, never came back on the platform. You probably have a lot of, if you've been on LinkedIn for years, you probably have a lot of dead connections. You actually need to remove those people because you wanna make sure that when you first post something on LinkedIn, that it gets fed to your small subset of users and, and people take viral action because then LinkedIn will serve it to more people. So really important to clean up your following for that reason. And then this step is also just in case like uh, something got like missed and if people report it, hide it, LinkedIn can you know put the can on the post right away. Third step of the algorithm is super interesting. It's content scoring. And LinkedIn is really looking at two things. It's looking at what is the probability of somebody actually taking viral action on your posts and this being a successful thing that keeps users entertained. Then they're also looking at author stickiness. Um, so like I said, only 6% of people on LinkedIn actually are content creators and LinkedIn wants to reward content creators. And so they're not only looking to see if people are gonna engage on the posts, they wanna make sure that you as a content creator are engaging on uh, the platform and staying longer on the platform. So it's judging you um, on what you're doing after you post. So that's why you shouldn't use scheduling tools. You shouldn't post and ghost. That's why engagement pods do really well on LinkedIn because it forces you to engage on other content right after you post. Mm -hmm. And so really important is author stickiness. Not many people know this. Then there's viral actions. Uh, and, and basically LinkedIn is trying to see as it feeds more people your posts, how many viral actions are you getting? And viral actions on LinkedIn are weighted, okay? So 
alike, for example, this is, I've made these numbers up based on my experience of what actually goes viral. A like is one point. A comment is two points. A share is four points. A share with a caption is 4.5 points. By far, the most viral thing you can do on LinkedIn is to create a post that gets lots of shares. That's how you go massively viral. That's how I get all my clients to go viral and become influencers on LinkedIn. It's not about comments. It's not about likes. It's about shares. And a lot of people get that wrong, and they don't create shareable content in their content marketing strategy, which will, you know, cut uh, pull the plug on everything that I'm talking about right now if you don't have shareable content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to make sure that you maximize the amount of shares and viral actions that you get. And also in terms of content scoring, you replying to comments, you engaging on shares, that actually increases the virality of your post and all the this content scoring that goes on on step three. So let's say you did all this successfully, your post is going viral, you have a thousand likes, maybe 600 shares. Now you are in the bucket of, uh, the LinkedIn uh, editorial people who work at LinkedIn, they're going to actually start reviewing these posts because they want to control the conversation. And then if it aligns to LinkedIn's agenda, they're going to pour gasoline on it and it could go viral for weeks. Okay. And if not, it's going to stop and you'll have a 3000 like post or whatever it is. So that's basically the entire algorithm. Um, I have a LinkedIn masterclass where I essentially spend a four hours on teaching this. So I gave you guys like the super quick version of it. I just want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, I don't know about you, but my screens and feeds are covered with ads and content. As a user, it's overwhelming. And when your business is just getting started, it can feel impossible to break through, to reach out to the people that want to learn about your product or service. But HubSpot CRM can help. HubSpot is a powerful CRM platform that has everything you need to help your business stand out all in one place with valuable insights into the customer journey, reaching new audiences and building deeper relationships has never been easier. Reach customers at the right place and the right time with segmentation tools and messaging tools and generate new leads with landing pages, ads, and forms. And with an easy to use interface, it's customizable without being complicated, even as you scale. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better and get a special offer of 20% off on eligible plans at HubSpot dot com slash success pod I, I saw you building that out I've, I've seen all the different i know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and netsuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs for business owners because there's one thing that we all know business is about making money and it's about your bottom line and the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business the more profits you keep but these days everything is costing more supplies people shipping it squeezes your margins and i've been there juggling multiple systems for finance inventory you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary.
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, 
the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. From projects you take on. And, and Thanks. Yeah, no, that's very good. I had no I had no idea. I spent, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. And I, again, like seriously, I've never heard of anybody speak about the nuances of LinkedIn like this. So this is a very powerful tool because, again, everybody's looking for virality and everybody's yeah. looking for organic reach. And this is very important for somebody, especially probably listeners of this show, but other people that are in other industries to consider when you're trying to build a social strategy, mm-hmm. to understand the nuances of a social, like a social strategy like that is exceptional because I don't think there's a lot of other platforms where you can actually break down something. So it's very simple, actually. It's, it's, yeah. it's a lot to understand, but then it's very simple. Outside of posting reels, I'm sure there's some nuances as to what type of content TikTok likes or Instagram likes, but for a business audience, it's like painful to figure out how to get these short form reels to go viral on TikTok or Instagram. Yeah. It's brutal. So this is the opportunity. This is the pure opportunity. Um, I actually wanted to go into, I'm trying to think about other LinkedIn things. I think that's a lot of LinkedIn. They can go and get your masterclass. Yeah. If you want, we can talk about um, sales strategy on LinkedIn. Actually, oh, I, I did have a question for you about LinkedIn. Yeah. So when you're saying that there's zero promotional and you all the content is going viral, so you're using LinkedIn Live for your podcast because that's an, that's part of your 360. That's where you get extra impressions and views, and 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 that's how you build the number one podcast and podcaster on LinkedIn. But then when a new show goes live, you're not actually promoting it in a post. Hmm. Are you or no? So I'm leveraging LinkedIn Live in that regard. So I actually have a tool. That's restream. how you get a new. Uh, that's how you get a new show in front of the LinkedIn audience versus including it in a post, linking off to an Exactly. You always need to adapt to yeah. what the platform's doing. So, for example, on Instagram, of course, I'm leveraging reels. I have the talking head videos. They actually yeah. perform really well. I'm doing collab reels and making sure my mm-hmm. guests, like, making it a requirement that they collab with me so I get their reach. That's the game on Instagram. On LinkedIn, I'm actually taking my YouTube full video and I'm replaying it. It's not live. It's just, it's just a replay using the Restream app. Mm-hmm. And I'm replaying it. And it's, I convert so many subscribers this way. I, first of all, I convert people who thought they never liked podcasts, but they like my stuff. Then they realize, well, I'm going to follow her on YouTube or I'm going to follow her on my podcast. And the people who engage on LinkedIn, we actually retarget them in the DM. So this, you can use this for any business. It just happens to be that I'm in the business of getting podcast subscribers for this one tactic, Mm -hmm. right? So people like and comment on my live stream. What they're really doing is is giving me permission to reach out to them. It's called permission-based marketing. And then I, you know, notice their behavior. 
and I write a note to them. Hey, I noticed that you engaged on my post uh, about you know my recent interview with Alex Ramosi. I would love for you to check out Young and Profiting Podcast if you like this kind of content. Here's the link. And then, you know, we ask them for their feedback. They listen to the show. Hey, can you copy and paste? Like, you know, thank you so much for loving the show. Can you copy and paste this as an Apple podcast review? And every single salesy post, whether it's podcast, whether it's about my masterclass, we've got a little drip campaign that goes on in the DMs where we know exactly somebody engaged. Now let's retarget them in the DMs. Let's talk about the behavior that they took because then it's not spammy or salesy. Let's give them some sort of free value and then let's try to get them to convert, whether that's a masterclass or subscribing to my show or dropping me a review. Very smart. And I think that, so a good lesson right now is, is if you're going over all of your social, if somebody's listening to go over all your social, uh, your product is a podcast. If they wanna see how to leverage an algorithm for a particular social for discussing a new product launch or, or being salesy because you're selling the podcast, the way that you've done it on that platform is a way to play with the algorithm mm -hmm. so that you don't kill the reach, but you still get the desired result. Yeah, 100%. On LinkedIn, for me, the feed is all about going viral, growing mm -hmm. community, making sure people know that you're the true expert in your space, providing educational content, shareable con content, which is educational, motivational, inspirational, interactive content, feed to grow your community, and then people who engage on that stuff, you're gonna get more eyeballs, more people engaging, Talk to them in the DMs. Talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, that is the sales strategy, at least for LinkedIn. Um, other strategies, so let's talk about podcasting. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about other strategies that you you use and that you use to grow the show. So I'm assuming there's a similar social strategy, um, but there's a lot more to growing a show than just being present on social. Oh so yeah, 100%. What would be, and we can, I guess it depends on who you want to teach you. You can teach to somebody who's starting off and then maybe get a little bit more advanced for people that have a podcast like me. I'll be yeah. a student. And <laughs> and how do I grow the show to the, take it to the next level? How does somebody starting off as well also day one on an RSS feed with no organic reach get their first few subscribers? Because yeah. every single digital marketing thing applies from social to paid to SEO to mm -hmm. all that. So yeah. So, so number one, you need to realize that most people don't listen to podcasts, right? People on social media, half of the Americans in the world have never even turned on a podcast. Most people are barely listening. You know, there's avid podcast fans and then there's people that listen to one or two episodes a month, right? You want the avid podcast fans and those people are in the apps. They're already on their specific podcast app that they choose to use. So you need to be as visible as possible in the podcast app. So what does that mean? First of all, great SEO, right? One of the biggest mistakes that I made, I've ended up making it anyway, but my show was called Young and Profiting. Nobody was searching that, right? Yeah. I wish I called it Young Entrepreneurs. You don't understand how many mediocre podcasters I meet and they've got a podcast called Self Help or something, Self Help Daily. And or, people are searching that all day, then they yeah. find it, yeah. And they've got, <laughs> more downloads than me. They don't know how to monetize it. They have no idea how podcasting works. They're not even successful, but they've got a huge podcast because it was an accident because they had good SEO, good keywords. So if you can stand out with a good keyword, that will be in your best interest in terms of just organic, easy downstream traction to get an audience. So that's number one, good podcast SEO. Number two is there's 70 different apps that make up this podcast space. One of the reasons why I became very successful in podcasting is because I didn't just care about Apple, okay? 
for a couple years I did and I wasn't very successful. Like my podcast was decently sized. But as soon as I realized that there was many different apps and that Apple really only had 20 or 30% of the market share and there was like 70% of the market share elsewhere. And I started figuring out how to make relationships with these other apps, figuring out what kind of advertising opportunities they have. All these apps have different advertising opportunities. You can get a banner ad in the player. You can get push notifications sent out from the player. You can get sidebar ads. They're all, every every platform's different. Me and you both do mm -hmm. in-app media buying, right? Huge game changer. You need a little bit of money to do that. So if you have money, number one, go get advertising in the different podcast players. Great way to grow your show. Number two, or number three, is um, a way to do it without much money for an up-and-coming podcaster is to do interview swaps. Like me and you are doing an interview swaps. Mm -hmm. Our audiences are probably identical. We're going to get tens of thousands of new fans from this interview because we're both smart and we featured each other, and that is a great way to get a podcast audience. Similarly, we could decide, like, hey, let's do commercial swaps. And let's say I get a million downloads a month and you get $500,000 a month. I'm making this up, guys, right? I could say, you know what? I'll do one commercial for year every two and let's just swap like mm -hmm. that. So me and Jordan Harbinger do that every month. He does two commercials for me. I do like eight because he's way bigger than <laughs> me, right? Yeah. And so that's a great way to grow the show. And also you're tapping into another point where you mentioned something very prolific. Not a lot of people listen to podcasts. So if you're trying to attract new users, you go to where they are. Exactly. Really, that's like marketing 101. You don't want to have to convert somebody who's not a podcast listener into a podcast listener exactly. and then get them to know it's about your show. It's an extra step. Yeah. Um, as you get more advanced, so now we, we spoke about SEO, we spoke about uh, some paid show swaps. As you get more advanced, what are the biggest levers that you pull now? Is And I think that what I want to speak through is does it matter if you're bringing the biggest guests? Is that a lever that actually benefits? Or maybe not. I don't know. Um, are there other things that you do in the type of production or the run of show that actually impact the listenership or the retention? Mm. Uh, does video versus audio, does quality of audio, all the different things that what has the biggest impact in terms of all the things that you do now? Is it even following up after the show with you know emails out to the guests? and getting them to you know commit to a collab or commit to mm -hmm. posting content a million things yeah but what are the biggest yeah it's such a good question because like as you get bigger as a podcaster it's like all these little things start mm -hmm. to matter to differentiate differentiate yourself there's only like 250 of us right now that are really crushing in this world and monetizing and all that and so you asked me a question in terms of doesn't matter with the guest to be quite honest, my solo episodes do the best. People are listening to me and you because they're, you know, they could choose to listen to any of the million podcasts out there. They're invested in me as a host. And so my solo episodes do better than my guest episodes. But here's the thing, for my credibility, for growing my Instagram, it's really important. And my YouTube, super important to get the big guests. So I see the biggest return on my guests in terms of like their caliber. I had Grant Cardone on recently, Alex Tramosi, I had Matthew McConaughey on. I get so much reach on Instagram when they share my stuff and on YouTube because both those platforms are really good when it comes to featuring celebrities. So that's uh, my main thing with guests. It's I don't really see a bump in my downloads. It's always pretty consistent. It's more the traction that I get on social media and my credibility that they help me grow on the social side. So. That's the guest question. In terms of like little things that I think I do differently than other big podcasters now, we send every podcaster a customized box. It's a blue box with my branding on it, with mm -hmm. my face on it. We send them a mic. 
to control the sound so that all my stuff sounds super good. We send them branding, a mug. It talks about my agency, talks about who I am. Now, when guests come on the show, you know, before we did this, for example, I had Deepak Chopra that came on the show and he showed up and he was like super unhappy and not impressed and like it had bad energy. Now, when guests come on the show, like they're so impressed and they're like, I'm so excited. And one of the reasons is because the box just makes it seem so fancy. They're like, Jesus, girl. Spent it differentiates. Yeah. She's yeah. like, this girl spent 500 bucks to send me this thing. Like must be a huge podcast. Like they must be crushing. Yeah. And so they come with like a different level of energy really helpful plus we get to control the sound so little hack that i do as a, a podcaster is that and you know i'm really all about growing and like now all i care about is just growing and retaining my show as you know with sponsors it's like the bigger we are the more money we get mm -hmm. it is so scalable way more scalable than my agency so i'm just trying to think how can i maximize my impressions how can i grow youtube how can i sell as a simulcast how can i just you know increase my impressions as much as i can so that I can make the most out of every show. And and, and t another thing you touched on, as a host, sometimes it's hard to get the best out of the people that come onto your show. Like Deepak Chopra is a huge name, but mm -hmm. showing up with shitty energy is not good for the interview. Exactly. So what would be the recommendation for hosts that are trying to get the best out of their guest? Is it the prep? Is it the questions? Is it the framing? Is it the making somebody feel so comfortable so that they feel they can open up? How do you, how do you be a good host? So number one, you wanna make sure that as soon as they come on that they just have such a great smooth experience so that means making sure you're on the if it's virtual making sure you're on there 10 to 15 minutes before mm -hmm. now i have a producer that shows up that kind of chit chats with them make sure that all the tech is there that they feel comfortable that they have water i then introduce myself and i make sure that they know who i am who my audience is that they feel comfortable i say something to make them know that I researched them. So like when me and you were talking before, you were you were you were throwing things out to me like we're going to talk about your blog, we're going to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Immediately put me at ease. Oh, he did his research. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is going to be easy for me. He came prepared. The worst thing you can do as a host I've been on podcasts where they've been like, how do you pronounce your name? And I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You like, also don't have a very complicated name. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, why am I here? Like, you literally could have listened to the five seconds of any one of my videos and, yes. and knew my name. So it's like, just don't come off with any sort of disrespect, something that's easily Googleable yeah. and not know it. Um, that puts people at ease. I love that. Um, I want to talk about sort of, so we now LinkedIn, podcasting. Now let's just talk about like general entrepreneurship lessons for people and we sort of touched on it a bit at the beginning but um you work in all these different types of platforms you figured out how to growth hack linkedin to a podcast what is your advice for individuals that want to stay on top of trends and marketing how do you stay so that you're always operating you know that you're always killing it because algorithms change um, platforms change what's your process do you have teams that go out and research what's new what's working is it you listening to other content so people can stay up on top of marketing trends yeah so number one like i mentioned before focus i think people are so unfocused so i to this day i'm not focused for example on tiktok i don't give a crap yeah. if i'm on tiktok right now because to me i'm like i got too much fish to fry on linkedin i got too much fish to fry on youtube instagram podcast if i add tiktok it's going to take away from what's going on on the other platforms. So you gotta know your limits and realize what is gonna actually bring you the most ROI right now. What should you milk right now and focus on and learn instead of spreading yourself too thin. So that's number one. Um, 
Your question again was what? It was how do you stay up on top of trends? Okay, yes. Uh, Number two. So focus is number one because you're not going to know everything about everything all the time. Focus is number one. Yeah. Number two is find somebody who's already crushing it. Okay, and learn from them. So, for example, I'm by far the most knowledgeable person on LinkedIn right now. I have the best masterclass. I have a two-day masterclass. Um, anybody who's interested, you could go to yapmedia.io slash course. <laughs> and I'll create a code uh, called Scott for 40% off awesome. if you guys want. Um, but So I have a masterclass, so learn from the best. So Instagram, I'm really knowledgeable, but what I try to do is learn from really good people who are trying to teach about Instagram who are just like me for LinkedIn, but for Instagram, I'm learning from those people. I'm not trying to figure it out on my own. I want the shortcut, right? The other thing is experiment. You got to post every day. You got to figure out what your audience likes. You got to have the most, you want to have engaging content. Um, And every platform, like we mentioned, is totally different in terms of the way that you need to manipulate it with the engagement hacks. So that's really important to understand if you want to grow um, and you need to understand those engagement hacks. So what resonates content wise? What are the different engagement hacks that you need to do so you're actually visible in the feed? That's like the, the first battle on social media is just getting visible in the feed. Mm-hmm. And every algorithm is different like we talked about. Do you feel um, in your, your background you had corporate marketing experience and now you have super scrappy entrepreneurial marketing experience? Yeah. Um, Walk me through the differences. Yeah. Uh, walk me through what a CMO of a Fortune 50 could learn from uh, an entrepreneur and vice versa. Yeah, so number one, what I noticed in corporate is that everybody has institutional knowledge. And when I came, for example, when I worked at Hewlett Packard, I was the most tech savvy person because I had learned in the streets, essentially. And so I was so scrappy, knew all, I knew so many different skills. Like I had graphic design skills, video editing skills, SEO skills, website building skills. But when you have institutional knowledge, you tend to be in a silo. Uh, a lot of these corporate corporations, like they want you to do your job. And if you step on someone's toes, it's actually not a good thing. And so you end up just learning one really specific skill and not having like not really good at lots of different things, which I think is really important for social media is to like be really good at copywriting and also like design and, and like having all these different skills. In corporate, you tend to learn one thing really, really good. And it's not necessarily transferable in terms of that skill set when you are in the real world trying to make it. Um, the other thing is like just being on the ground, right? So like actually posting, being the one who posts it, being the one who comes up with the ideas, mm-hmm. being the one goes back to what I was just saying, that's end to end from thinking of the actual topic to creating the caption to posting it up. You don't necessarily need to be the one creating the video asset or whatever, but at least having responsibility throughout the end to end process in terms of what goes up, then you're really close to it and you can understand what's working, what's not, you know, actually being active on the platform, talking to the community, looking at what other influencers are, studying your competition is huge, you know, and and getting a pulse. So it's just a matter of like being on the ground where as a CMO, it's sort of easy to like, lose touch of what's actually going on you know um neil patel one of like the largest mm-hmm. it's his backgrounds in seo another marketing influencer uh he always says like if you want to learn how to build anything build a personal website just seo your personal website build your own certain yeah build your own social media like do all the stuff yourself and then you know how to first of all as a cmo actually i've seen people that i mean they just know how to manage because they're so far removed they haven't done yeah. like, marketing in 20 plus years and how do you how do you keep on top of a four-step linkedin process 
to fulfill all of these, you know, content requirements or buckets. I'm going to go back and listen to it because I can't remember them all live, but <laughs> I'll listen to it later and probably take some notes. But how do you how do you stay on top of that? And you haven't done it yourself in 20 years. Exactly. And it's not so like, for example, now I have a team of 60 people. So I'm not the one doing everything, but I'm at least but looking day one at you it. Were. Day yeah. One you were. Day one I was. Exactly. Yeah. Like you've got to at least start somewhere and then make sure that you're brushing up and, and hearing out your team in terms of what's changing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, I think another thing is uh, the right team is looking for different ways to like the right team has that mindset of always looking for the new thing or the latest thing. And you're giving them like the psychological safety to try new things they've never tried before. Screw up. It's okay. Definitely. We're breaking shit. We're trying shit. But a team that is able to do that as a leader, that, that will make your business. I think that's a super, super important thing too. Like don't stifle creativity. Don't turn into a corporate. Or like this is the way yeah, it's always been is, done. This is the way it's all actually funny enough. The worst thing that I have ever done in any startup that I've ever worked in is hire somebody with industry experience. Mm. It always screws up, not because they're bad. It's just because they've only done it one way. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way to do it. And that is like the death of a business. Yeah, because so algorithms change all the time. Yeah, all the time. Um, transitioning from corporate into entrepreneurial side hustle startup. What was the biggest challenge? What is the biggest takeaway or lesson that you want to tell people that are thinking about doing something like this right now? Mm. For me, the biggest challenge, I think, I'm not sure how relatable this is going to be, but my team grew so fast. My company blew up so quickly that we went from 20 volunteers to mm. 60 people around the world that I was paying and, and trying to start this business. Also unique is that I'm not just a CEO, I'm also like a spokesperson, a podcast host, a content creator. And so definitely pulled me in a lot of directions. So I needed to make sure that I had a really strong team. And so my tendency is to typically train up one person really, really well to take over different departments of my business. So now I basically have like my right hand who's running my social agency, my right hand who's running my podcast network. And it always starts with me creating it, creating the processes, creating the systems, creating the, the product itself, making sure it's sustainable and I tend to stand up these parts of my business and then put somebody in charge so that I can work on the next thing and work on my brand right and so you know training a team is so important and having people that you trust and as an entrepreneur being able to actually um, allow them to thrive and give them the tools that they need um, to, to actually help you run your business how did you how did you not screw up scaling that quick I mean, I did. Everybody screws up, right? Like <laughs> that's that's super tough. It's it was really hard, and I ended up actually letting go of like some bloat on my team. Like I let go of like ten people this summer because I was like, you know what? Like we grew too fast. I allowed people to hire for me, mm -hmm. and there's some people on the team. I feel like people aren't being as productive. Like I just want the best of the best, and I actually like had to downsize a little bit. Um, so that we just had a tighter team because one bad apple spoils a bunch, mm -hmm. you know, the more productive people are and the tighter the culture, the, the better it goes. Um, the other thing that I struggled with is like, as you become, you know, as I became more successful, when I had my volunteer team, I was like a God, you know, I was, uh, it was like mostly super fans who yeah. worked for, for me. And well, you had volunteers day one. I had volunteers. Yeah. By episode uh, eight, I had 10 volunteers in a Slack channel. I had about 20 people working for free for me for two years. A lot of them now are like leaders of my company and mm -hmm. have quit their jobs and things like that. And we were so tight and everybody respected me so much because they saw me working 16, 18 hours a day. I was always, I was teaching them one-on-one. -on -one. They saw how skillful I was. 
now the team's so big that like people who are at the lower, you know, uh, yeah. lower end of the totem pole, they don't necessarily like see me in the same way. I just look like, oh, this is the CEO who kind of gets things handed to her and has mm -hmm. fancy clothes and does whatever she wants. And it's like, no, like there's so much to it. Like it's been, you know, years to get to this point. Uh, that's I, what every story about overnight success is never overnight. I get yeah. it. Yeah. So, so those are some of the struggles. How do you, how do you, as a CEO, how do you keep the same evangelism and excitement? And, and it's hard. There's no right answer to this because it's a very hard thing to do, but to the best of your ability, how do you get people that are employee number 60 to get as excited about your business as employee number one? I think it's about having strong teams, strong team culture. We're going through an exercise right now where we're gonna like really revamp our core values, uh, make sure that we've got the right cultural fits. Um, and you know, we're a fully remote team, always mm -hmm. have been. And so making sure that we have face-to-face -face time, that we're doing things and talking about things that are outside of work, that I'm flying out my team to conferences so we get to bond. So it's just more about like this like family type aura that mm -hmm. we're trying to like recreate. The team has great energy and we've got a great culture. But to your point, the bigger you get, the more like removed and spread out that culture gets because you, you know, throughout the process, if you weren't super tight about the types of people that you wanted to bring in, there's people with different values that may be in your company um, and you've got to like kind of contain that. So that's where yeah. I'm at right now is like making sure that everybody aligns to the same values so that we could just move really fast together. I love that. And how do I, as a CEO, you mentioned this as well, a CEO, but you're also talent. You're also on air, you're recording. Um, and this thing is scaled so quickly. So how do you focus your time and energy? Because you're, I think a lot of, again, a lot of different people listen to this from different lenses, right? So you'll have a CEO listening to this being, oh, I could totally build a podcast for my brand. It, it makes a ton of sense. Look at what it's done for her. But then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, how do I manage the time? I already have 12, 14-hour days. I can't do a podcast. But you're yeah. doing it. So yeah. what's, the, what's the secret? So it was different when I had a corporate job and different now. Yeah. Um, so like I'll give it high-level corporate job. Um, I would wake up super early in the morning, work on my podcast, delegate to my team about what I needed them to do. People weren't working full time, but they were working two, three hours a day for me. So I tell everybody what they need to do yeah. today. Right. <laughs> and then I'd go, I would do interviews during lunch. Uh, the key thing that I wanted to bring up is on the, my train ride. I lived in Brooklyn and would take a train to Midtown Manhattan for to Disney. I would tell myself that my job on the train, the only job I have is to put up my LinkedIn post. So this was my way of getting podcast listeners and first growing. So my only job on the way to work was to put up my LinkedIn posts. So uh, the, 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 the lesson in this is, is to force yourself and give yourself a job during downtime that enables you to do something for your side hustle. So for me, it was like growing on LinkedIn, my job on the train, which usually people are listening to music, doing unproductive things. I was like, got to do my LinkedIn posts on the way home, all my engagement, community engagement. I did that every day until I grew to like a hundred thousand followers and, and just did it consistently. And it was like, no was excuses, no excuse, non-negotiable every day. Right. Yeah. Did my interviews at lunch, you know, work till midnight on my podcast, whatever. So just hustle, hustle, hustled for the side hustle. Right now I batch everything. Cause I have more flexibility. So I have two content days a week, no client meetings during that day. I study for my interview. I take my, my interview for Yap. Maybe I'll do guest appearances after on other podcasts, shoot some videos, two content days, get my hair and makeup done, uh, have a cute outfit on all day, two days a week, right? Other three days, I'm CEO. Sometimes I don't, I, you know, no camera, I'm not wearing makeup today or like, I'm not, like, I just wanna work, focus. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? So I batch my days. There's on-camera days. There's off-camera days where I'm just CEO, just knocking it out on the computer, right? Um, the other thing is, like, I don't watch TV, you know? No TV. Only date nights with my, like, with my man, whatever, yeah. just, like, to decompress and have fun. But I don't watch TV. Like, if, if I have downtime, I'm either, like, you know, researching stuff about podcasts, researching stuff about LinkedIn, like yeah. getting into the industry because that's the way that you win, right? Like, and that's what differentiates me to your point. How do you stay abreast? I'm constantly researching and seeing what's new in my downtime instead of being unproductive. Also, working out uh, makes me smarter, makes me faster, makes me feel confident. And I make sure that I work out like four or five times a week. It's really important to me. So um, those are some of the things that I do. I to love stay that. On track. I'm curious about um, as like a... a obviously an exceptional entrepreneur that's always on like there's a lot of I hear like a lot of always on and like you're very very focused how does that tie into a relationship how do you have a partner that supports that that how did you find the right person for that because that's something that literally every entrepreneur struggles with yeah I mean for me um it's funny because that's actually been a, a struggling point. Like I broke up with somebody I was basically married to. I was with for 11 years who Damn. was an entrepreneur himself yeah. uh, because he didn't want me to be an entrepreneur. And uh, during COVID, I started my business and he was furious and like stonewalled me and all these things. And uh, I broke up with him to, to, to start my business. And immediately after we broke up, uh, sometimes people can really hold you back, right? And immediately after we broke up, everything took off. Uh, because he was basically st like preventing me from being my full hundred percent holla, you know, yeah. as soon as we broke up, became like number one female podcast or podcast princess, all this kind of stuff. So that was pretty difficult, but I made that decision that, you know, life is short and I may love this person still do as a friend and whatever, but it, it is what it is. We're just, we're in aligned. And, um, sometimes, especially for, for women, men can't handle it. You know, I'm pretty intimidating in terms of like doing all these like 100k deals and whatever like most men can't handle that you know and so um uh, it's been a, like you know a, a struggle but in, in terms of finding the right person but in terms of the the person that I'm, I'm with now it's like they need to be equally as ambitious they need to understand that we're both like you know working really you hard go into the relationship setting expectations 100 and for me you know um it's really funny my business partner because I've been like single in bouts for the last two years, yeah. right? Trying to find the right person. He'd be like, he's always like, you're a unicorn. You need a billionaire. You need this, you need that. And I'm like, I don't want a billionaire. Like I want a guy who's like as successful as me and we're a startup and yeah. we're, we're working together and, and crushing and becoming a power couple and not having a dynamic where somebody's more powerful than me. You know, I want something equal and we grow together. together. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like very similar to the, the Layla and Alex. Exactly. Like, style, I, right? exactly. So you have to get him on shows with you now. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing like a whole like couple podcast tour, I think. Anyways. Yeah. Um, okay. So after, after all of everything you've achieved, obviously you've had incredible success, but what have been the biggest failures that you've had over your career? over building Yap, over building your podcast, the agency? Yeah. Oh, what did man. you really screw so up? Many, so many I'm sure a lot. What are the ones you want to talk about? <laughs> I'm like, geez, where do I start? Um, so like with my blog site, not really, I had a huge blog site, one of the most popular hip hop and entertainment sites in the world. Didn't figure out the ad monetization of that. Uh, was really focused on the branding, the content strategy, which taught me a lot. And I don't regret it because I feel like mm -hmm. part of the reason why I'm so successful now is all the branding, social media stuff that I figured out back then as a young lady. Um, but I didn't figure out how to monetize. So it's like you 
always need to think about the ROI, right? Like you're in business to make money. And so figuring out the business behind what you're doing. So like we were talking about so many like up and coming podcasters that like have no idea how to monetize podcasts. Why bother? You know what I mean? If you don't even have like a plan to, to, to either get something out of it, whether that's the networking, the lead generation tool, sponsorships, whatever it is. So really understanding how you get ROI from whatever you're doing. Um, other failures, um, like I said, like the hiring stuff, like, like one of the biggest things that I as my company was scaling, I put too much trust in people, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I'm really easy to let go once I feel like I can trust someone. But you really, especially as a small business owner, you've got to make every hire, right? I've got to be the last person that approves this person. You need to give people test period, like hire really slow, fire fast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm too nice and I'll like keep people around for too long because I like feel bad for them. And I'm Everyone like, well, like, this, I, can, I can technically afford the salary. And, yeah. that, and then it's like, you just hurt, it, it hurts the rest of the team. It brings everyone down. And by the way, it's not good for them either. Like I started to realize that like the longer you keep somebody where they're not thriving, the worse it is for them, for their confidence to, to go find a place where they, where they fit in. So those have been my two main struggles. I love that. No, it's, it's good advice. Um, I want to, I, I always close it out. I, I, I always close, uh, these out with the same question, but before we end this and I'll get all the social and places to send everybody. Mm-hmm. So, um, what would be like final words that you want to leave the audience with any last entrepreneurial lessons, podcast lessons, whatever it is, floor is yours. Okay. Um, so what I would say is that you really need to believe in yourself if you want to be in, like, this is an entrepreneurship show, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think really holds people back is that they're waiting for somebody to give them permission. So I, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but in a lot of my journey, you know, I was rejected from terrestrial radio, satellite radio, TV, and then I took things in my own hands and started my own podcast and became extremely successful at it. Right. And it was because I was trying to let the gatekeepers let me into something and I would do all this work and I would do free work and, uh, three year intern. Exactly. And even at like, there's so many different instances of me, like working for free, building something and then getting screwed because I didn't build my own asset. Right. And it wasn't until I was like, I'm going to build my own personal brand on LinkedIn. I'm going to build my own podcast. So that things really start to take off because I decided that like, I'm not going to let a gatekeeper tell me yes or no. I'm going to take things into my own control, leverage my skills and do this. And I believed in myself enough to do that. So it's like, number one, don't let the gatekeepers stop you from your dreams. If somebody is saying like, no, you don't have this opportunity. Think about how can you do this on your own? How can you take control and not go knock on other doors, but actually do it on your own? What can you do? And what is in your own hands in terms of this goal of yours and not be so certain on one specific path, right? I could have been so focused, like I want to be on the radio, but the having a podcast is almost the same. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a positive voice for my generation. Now this has broadened up my goal instead of being like, I want to be the number one New York radio personality. No, I want to be a positive voice for my generation that can be on LinkedIn, that could be on podcasts and the future YouTube. And it's more broad. And then it allows you to take many paths towards what you want. A lot of people get focused on like one thing and then like they just keep hitting a wall. So it's like, how do you broaden up what you actually want and know what you actually want so you feel cre- like like you've got the freedom to take many paths 
and not have this that? one path. How do you do that though? Because that's so tough. To, it's easy to say, but I mean, people that are living in this siloed version of life and reality, because that's, I mean, even myself, I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family. It was very hard to break out of, love my parents and, and their, their jobs were great, but they were nine to five, very safe, very risk adverse people. Yeah. Like, I've actually thought about this a few times. Like, I don't know how I pivoted my lens of life. And I wish I could understand that point Yeah, because I would teach that to literally everyone. It's so powerful. Yeah. And I'm just curious if you have a, any idea about how to do that from somebody that is stuck in a, their environment, their family, their upbringing, their social circle community. It's so hard. Yeah. So number one, I think what really impacted me is like I was super into the law of attraction when I was like 19 years old and like reading self-improvement, reading books, audio books, mm -hmm. listening to really successful people being I was lucky I was, you know, working at Hot 97 on the number one radio show. So meeting celebrities all the time. So being a celebrity wasn't unfamiliar to me. Like it fe felt possible because as a teenager, I was around them, you know? Felt real. So, so really helped me. If you don't have access directly to those people, you've got to get those mentors virtually. So books, joining masterminds, like whatever you can do, like bring your like level of influence up and be around people who do extraordinary things so you feel like it's possible. So like whether that's reading it in a book, joining a mastermind, following an influencer and becoming one of their like, you know, and really studying them as, as even if you don't know them and then leveling yourself up in life. So eventually these people that you admire become your mentors right? Super important. I crushed it in podcasts because I made sure that Jordan Harbinger was going to be my mentor. I like worked, I would do things for free for him. I would like, you know, constantly follow up with him, put him in any article that I got as I was leveling up, I would keep trying to help him till eventually he was like, this girl is awesome. And she's going to be, I'm going to teach her everything. And he helped accelerate my career five years, like, mm -hmm. because he just taught me the game. So it's like getting good enough and being respectable enough. So your mentors actually want to help you. And that requires some chasing, you know? And so, uh, that's really helpful. And I was going to say, then like the next level is like, so a couple of things, cause you spoke about, you know, you were, you were basically working and trying to give Jordan as much value as you possibly could. But I want to highlight that that was to build your own thing. Cause it's, it's a, it's a stark contrast from giving a company an internship that will just what, let you have a salary exactly. position. It's you're giving, you're giving so that you can eventually build your own thing. And like, I would take it a step further. Like those mentors can eventually become your peers yeah. at a certain point. But that's, it's just about giving an insane amount of value. I love that. I really love that. It's yeah. just like getting around the right people to give yourself permission to believe that the life that they have, it's so easy to accept that as your own. And the fact that if somebody else has done it, if you if you deconstruct the steps to get there, it's hard work, but it's simple. It's, it's one plus one plus one plus one again and again. Yeah. So you get to the end result. And if you can understand that you can deconstruct that, and all of a sudden, like the the ability or the possibility becomes a lot easier to wrap your mind around. Yeah. And and the other thing I would say is like as an entrepreneur, the game is online and you need a personal brand. Yeah. You know, like you really need to invest in that. If you're in corporate, fine. You really don't need a personal brand because at this point you're your resume. And uh, but but as an entrepreneur, you need to be online. It increases the amount of money that people pay you for whatever you're doing. It increases your visibility of your company. And 
it's no longer the day where you can really be behind the scenes, I think, in most things. So also like not being afraid of putting your face out there and working on your social media. I know too many entrepreneurs that are like, yeah, social media is not my thing. And I'm like, that's why you're unsuccessful. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree fully. I mean, you said it. You said it. I'm not going to add more to it because it's perfect. Um, okay. Uh, where should people go to connect with you, to check out your socials, to link? To, I think you gave a link for the LinkedIn Masterclass. So give me, give me that. Give yes. me that link and I'll put it in the show notes, but Thank other you. places you want to send people. So you guys can check out Young and Profiting. We are a number one entrepreneurship podcast. Um, I interview the brightest minds in the world. So check out Young and Profiting on your favorite platforms. Also, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram at Yap with Hala. LinkedIn, you can search for my name. It's Hala Taha. And yeah. Perfect. Okay. Last question. I ask everyone um, after everything you've accomplished, what does success mean to you? Oh, what does success mean to you? Success means that I am working and never feeling like I'm working, that I'm living out my dream, the same dream that I had as a little girl. Um, instead of working for somebody else, I get to work for myself and uh, enable jobs. And to me, doing work that doesn't feel like work feels like success, no matter how much money I'm making. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Amazon.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed 
on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 